chapter 14. You should also have a copy of the the sermon outline with you today in the bulletin, so I'd encourage you to find that and follow along. If you are here with us for the first time, we have been studying the life of David. And each week, really for most of this year, we've been in a different passage in David's life, and we are comparing the road that God has led David down. We're comparing that to the spiritual lives that you and I live as we follow our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, that, that song service today really prepared my heart. Did that bring us into the presence of the Lord? I mean, wow. It's just wonderful to hear you sing. And isn't it good to know that we serve a mighty God? And just in an uncertain world, in a time with uh, confusion and chaos around us, you turn on the news, it's just good to come with God's people to open God's word and sing God's praises. And uh, there is no God like our God. But that's what we're doing. We're looking at David's life and seeing where God leads him. Now, we're at the end. In the next few weeks, we're going to finish this series of messages. And today, we come to a very difficult and tragic moment in David's life. And it begins in 2 Samuel 14. Now, you'll notice if you open your handout today, the introduction, the situation to kind of catch us up to speed. In other words, previously on following the shepherd. We'll do that little moment right now. Um, To catch us up to speed, what has taken place is David's family is in turmoil. He has grown sons and daughters. And just, I'm not going to re-preach last week's message, but some really awful things happened in David's family to the point that Absalom, his one son, murdered his other son, Amnon. So this is heavy stuff. This is serious turmoil. And now as soon as that happened, Absalom had to flee. He had to run as fast as he could to get out of the land of Israel so that he would not be held accountable for his brother's death. So now Absalom is in hiding. And as Absalom is in exile and in hiding, he grows increasingly bitter and filled with hatred for his father David. And what's going to happen today, we're going to look at, I want you to just be ready to turn your Bibles quickly and follow along because we're going to look at, you know, some weeks we look at a small passage and say a lot. This week we're going to look at a large passage of Scripture and give a condensed summary of it. So just be ready to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. But Absalom is so filled with hatred against David that it's going to build and build and build to the point where what we'll see today is he is going to lead a rebellion. And the kingdom is going to be divided as the very son of the king leads a rebellion against King David. Now, the theme today is the counterfeit kingdom because the legitimate and right kingdom is the kingdom of David. It's David is the anointed king. David is the chosen one of the Lord. Absalom's kingdom is a kingdom that is a counterfeit kingdom. And Absalom's kingdom and any counterfeit kingdom is not going to last. Now what we see here is just like Absalom's kingdom is a counterfeit kingdom against the true kingdom of David, but in the same way there are counterfeit kingdoms of this world that are against the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. And no counterfeit kingdom, though it may seem strong, though it may seem powerful, 
there is no counterfeit kingdom that will stand against the kingdom of our God. That's the end of the message. So I could just sit down right there. That's where I just get, I just talk, that's where we're going. That's where we're going to get today. So, are you ready? Yes. All right, Donna, you've convinced me with that. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Look with me at verse number one, Second Samuel fourteen. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom, and Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman. And said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner, and put on now mourning apparel, and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead, and come to the king, and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless the message now. Father, I need your help to preach today, and we as a church, we need your help to listen to the word. We need your help to see the application to our hearts and to our lives. So Lord, I just pray that uh, you'd be with us this morning. We pray that above all else, that you would get the glory and the honor through this time in your word. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, you pick up what happened, and Absalom is in exile. Absalom is in exile. And we begin with Joab and the widow's tale. Did you see what just happened? In the verses that we just read, Joab is the right-hand man to King David. And Joab sees that David's son Absalom, David's son Absalom is in exile. And Joab knows that this is not the way that it's supposed to be, right? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. David's either got to bring Absalom back or he's got to deal with Absalom, one or the other. But neither of those things has happened. And Joab is like, well, somebody's got to do something. So Joab, the sinister plotting kind of guy that he is, Joab finds a widow woman. And he says to the widow woman, I want you to go into King David, and I want you to tell him this story. Now, for sake of time, you can read the whole story at home, but this is, a, this is basically what he says. He says this. He says, I want you to go in, and I want you to look like someone who's been mourning and really sad for a really long time. You know, so she puts her, her, her dark clothes on, and she puts the, uh, she, she puts the, um, the, 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 so the situation that's happened in the story, yeah, we've got a spot right there. That's perfect. That way she can have all the room she needs. Good, good. All right, so the situation with Joab is this, that the, um, she's, he says to this woman, he's like, you need to put on, you need to put on the, the, the saddest looking clothes that you've got, right? You need to put on the, the you know, you, you go in there and be like, oh, terrible things have happened, this is awful. And so she goes into David. David says, what's wrong, widow woman? Widow woman says, I had two sons. Now she didn't, this story is not true. She says, I got two sons. And the two sons were fighting. Any brothers in here? Any brothers in the room? We got brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do brothers ever fight? You know, so it's a believable story so far. Me and my brothers, we'd go at it a lot, right? So believable story so far. But now, all of a sudden, she says, the fight got so bad that one killed the other one. Now, that never escalated in our house to that level. But, um, but this happened, supposedly. And so she says, now the whole family... Now the whole family wants her, uh, wants me to deliver the other son so he's put to death, and I don't want to lose both of my sons. Anybody picked up on what this parable is supposed to be doing? 
You see what she's doing? How Joab has set her up? And so David, he's, just, he's listening to this whole thing. Verse number 11, skip down to verse number 11. It says here that, uh, Then said she, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wouldest not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. So David says, We'll take care of this. And now the woman says, let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my lord the king. And he said, say on. And the woman said, wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. You understand what she said? She's saying, oh, David, but I'm really not talking about, well, she doesn't admit. She doesn't admit that she's not talking about her sons, but she says, oh, well, if you're going to do this for me, don't you think that you should do this for your son too? What do you think? David's starting to wise up now. He's like, all right, I see what's going on here. I, I, see, I see what you're doing. In fact, skip down now to verse number 19. They have a little bit more conversation. And then in verse number 19, and the king said, did Joab put you up to this? He said, tell me, tell me later. I just got to know one thing. Did Joab put you up to this? And she says, well, yeah, Joab, Joab did it. He put all the words in my mouth. So um, verse, number, verse number 21, then the king, the king said to Joab, behold, now I have done this thing. Go, therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, in that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. Absalom has been in exile, but Absalom has now returned. Now we come to the second movement in the story. We've seen Absalom in exile, we see him back, and now we see the deception. Now the deception that Absalom starts to work. Now this is an interesting verse. Verse number 25. But in all Israel... There was none to be praised so much as Absalom for his, are you with me now? For his what? For his beauty. He was such a beautiful man, Absalom. And he was proud of how attractive he was. I mean, he, he wanted everybody to know that he was God's gift. You know what I'm saying? And so he went around strutting his stuff, letting everybody know that he, he, you know, he, Absalom's where it's at. And apparently he's a pretty good looking fella. It says, from the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his head, this, okay, so a little bit of older language here. He would cut his hair once a year. He would go to the hairdresser one time a year. And it would be the big, a big festivity. And I don't know if he, he, brought a, he, he brought along all of his entourage or what, but apparently this was a big thing. Did you hear? Absalom's getting a haircut. Absalom's having, and the long flowing hair would come down and he'd set himself up somewhere. somewhere. And it said, it says here 
that um, every year at the end, he, he, he cut his hair because the hair was heavy on him. There, so thick, long hair. And he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels after the king's weight. Now, I, one, uh, I believe that's about five pounds worth of hair. I mean, this guy had a, had a head full of hair. And when he cut it, five pounds were coming off. But he's beautiful. And then not only is he beautiful, but he's got a beautiful family. He's got three sons and a daughter named Tamar, who is a woman of a fair countenance. So, but why, are we, why is this all mentioned? Because Absalom is going to work everything to his advantage to sow his seeds of deception. And there's something about the physical appearance that people would look at him and think, well, he just looks so good. It all just looks so good. I've heard it said many times, if the devil appeared like the artists portray him with horns and a pitchfork, who would follow him? Certainly not you or I, right? But deception sometimes looks beautiful. Deception sometimes looks attractive. If you go back to the very Garden of Eden, what was it that, that Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the woman saw the fruit that it was what? Anybody remember what it says? Good to look upon. It didn't look like asparagus, okay? Maybe a papaya or something. You know, I don't know what. But it looked, no offense those of you who get excited at the sight of asparagus, but anyway, it looked good. And that is, a, there's a principle that's going <laughs> to I've offended some of you deeply this morning. I just know it. You've, you've been working on that asparagus crop for years. I actually like asparagus. Anyway, moving, moving, right, moving right along. The point is this. There's an attraction to deception sometimes. Absalom's kingdom is going to be a counterfeit kingdom, kingdom built on lies, but it's attractive. He's the in crown, crowd. He's the beauty, beautiful people. He's the, he's the Met Gala that we saw a few weeks ago, right? He is the, he, he is the Oscars. He is, the, he is Hollywood personified. He looks good. And everybody knows it. Well, some things go by, and he's call, he demands for attention in the next few verses. But what I want you to see now is there's a falling away. So move over into chapter number 15. And there's more to, to this, this whole experience. Now, there is a reunion. At some point, Absalom does finally come to see King David. David finally says, okay, I'll see my son. And so they're united. There's an embrace, but then they go their separate ways again. And they don't speak to each other. It's a cool reunion. And now Absalom's back in the kingdom. In verse number 1 of chapter 15, chapter 15 and verse number one, it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controversy, uh, came to the king for judgment, Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, well, I'm from such and such a tribe of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, see, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed, deputed of the king to hear thee. He, so now the deception takes it a step further. So first, he's just beautiful. Everybody thought, oh, what a great guy. Now 
he decides to take on a helpful role in the kingdom. Well, I will help the king out. And so first thing he does is he assembles an entourage around himself, chariots and horses and 50 men going before him. What's he doing? He wants people to see him as a leader. So what does he do? He hires some followers. He primes the pump a little bit. He says, all right, you guys are going to go ahead of me. You're going to be my servants. And then he says this, people, it was common when people had a problem in this judicial system, what they would do is they would come to the gates of the city. And the king would sometimes have judges and officers at the gate of the city. And at that gate, what they, they would judge the law. Absalom would get there early. And as everybody would come with their problems and with their difficulties, Absalom would say, I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're feeling. Your cause is good and right. Isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that the king hasn't put anybody here to help you people? He's planting the seed of doubt. He's planting the seed of doubt. Their loyalty should be to God's king. But David, not David, Absalom, he starts with a beautiful appearance. Then he begins to plant seeds of doubts in people's mind. Is this, is, does your king really love you? Is your king really after what's best for you? He hasn't, he hasn't done anything. And so what he did is, verse number four, Absalom said, moreover, you know what? Oh, that I were made a judge in the land. You know, I just had this idea. It just came to me. Since you have all these difficulties, you know what? I can't believe I didn't think of this sooner, but I'll be the judge. I'll take care of you folks. And so verse 5, it was that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. Notice what he's doing. He's telling them what they want to hear. There's so many New Testament scriptures. I'm going to show you a few in the, in the, in the end of the message, but there's so many. The Bible says in the last days that people won't want to hear sound, touching, but, sound teaching, but they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Someone will tell me what I want to hear. Someone will, so, some people, they want to come to church to have their feelings validated. They want to come to have their, their opinions fed to. This is also a method of deception. Absalom's not con concerned with the people. Absalom's concerned with himself, and he's deceiving them. And it says this in verse, at the end of verse number six, you see what it says, in this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. Now read it together with me. Ready? The end. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And he sends spies, verse 10, Absalom sends spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you'll say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called. And they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. I, I, I got to think that every movie about like rebellion, it's got to be, they've got to come back to this passage. I mean, because this is it. It's like the trumpet sounds. 
Absalom is the new king. Everybody, you know, gathers and they come from this end. They come and dividing lines are taken and, and people go this way, some with David and some go with Absalom and the rebellion is on. The rebellion has started. It has begun. And David, King David, is going to be forced to flee into exile. And so we see this third movement in the story that is this, the falling away and the faithful. The falling away and the faithful. There would be a group of in individuals, we'll see them in a minute, a group of individuals who no matter what, no matter how beautiful Absalom is, no matter how popular Absalom is, no matter how powerful Absalom is, they are going to be loyal to their king. But there's going to be another group of people who are just going to go the way of the crowd. They're just going to go with the flow and they're going to fall away into this rebellion. But I'm afraid there's also a very, the, the, the group that actually concerns me the most is there's actually a group of people in this account who were thought to be loyal to David. Everyone assumed that they were loyal to David. But when the rebellion launches, their true colors are revealed. And even the ones who were once thought to be faithful to David now fall away in the rebellion. The first one is the man we just read about, and his name is Ahithophel. Ahithophel becomes a conspirator. You would notice, and, and you'd notice a few verses later toward the end of chapter 16, actually, it mentions that Ahithophel, his counsel was so well thought of. He was such a wise man that people said, well, when you listen to Ahithophel, it's like you're listening to the very word of God. I mean, everything this guy said was right. He had discernment. He had wisdom. He had prudence, but he was not loyal to the king, and he falls away into the conspiracy. So it's important now, as if you want to understand, some of this is a little bit Bible study oriented a little bit more than preaching here, but just trace this with me. It'll be, it'll be a payoff at the end if you follow these characters. Ahithophel is the first one we notice. He is thought to be loyal to David, but we saw that he just fell away with Absalom. Well, skip down with me to verse number 19. Verse number 19, and you're going to... Well, actually, no, I got ahead of myself. You need to back up to verse 13. Verse 13, and there came a messenger unto David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women which were concubines to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside them and all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men which came after him from Gath passed on before the king. They said, let's get out of the city. Interestingly enough, King David leaves by way of the Mount of Olives. If you study this out, he leaves the city of Jerusalem and he leaves by way of the Mount of Olives. 
And as they pass over, the loyal followers come with him. Ahithophel is, Ahithophel is left behind. The next character, though, is not a conspirator. His name is Itai, and he's a faithful friend. Then said the king to Itai the Gittite, verse 19, Wherefore, go, wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place, abide with the king, for thou art a stranger, also an exile. All right, what's going on here? This guy, Itai, he had just joined David's council like the day before. I mean, he had just, so you talk about bad timing, right? Like, can you imagine? Got a new job. Oh, we're declaring bankruptcy tomorrow, right? I mean, that's the kind of experience that, that Itai has here. It's like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm close. I'm in with David now. And, da and now they're running, and David looks back, and he says, Itai, you don't need to come with us. You, should, you need to stay back. You need to stay behind. Think about the contrast. Ahithophel, who looked like a faithful follower for years. Itai, who's only been with David for a day. And look at the difference in response. Itai says, he says in verse Number 21, Itai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the king liveth, surely in what place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. Whoa. Right? I wish I had a lot longer to, to preach this message. I mean, just like, man, those words get me. He said, it doesn't matter if it was yesterday. It doesn't matter. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 years or you've been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 minutes. If you are his, you know you belong to the king. You are his. Whereas somebody that was, a, was with David for so many years is revealed to be just a sham. You have more people. Verses 24 through 29, we won't read these verses, but Zadok and Abiathar, this is a really cool story. They're like, they're like, they're priests, and they kept the temple, the tabernacle, and the worship. And so these guys are like, if the king is leaving Jerusalem, we're going with him so that the presence of the Lord goes with him. And these guys, they grab the ark. They grab the ark of the covenant, and they start carrying it out. They, they carry the ark of the covenant, and David says, no. He says, guys, take it back. If it's the Lord's will, I'll return to Jerusalem and I'll worship him there. Wow, he had faith. And just David's just trusting the Lord. He's just, it, it looks bad, but he says, no, we don't need to do that. Bring it back. So Zadok and Abiathar, they, they go back to Jerusalem. And they're actually, you got to read the story. They're double agents for the king. I mean, they're, the, they're there. They're spies for King David in the city of Jerusalem. Well, so you've got... Ahithophel, Atei, Zadok, and Abiathar. And now you've got this guy, Hushai. In, in verse number 32, you see Hushai. It came to pass when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshiped God. Behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head, unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. So he's got three guys. David's got three men in the city for him. He's got 
He's got Zadok and, Zadok and Abiathar. He's got Hushai. He says, Hushai, don't come with us. Go back into the city. Tell Absalom you're loyal to him so you can defeat the council of Ahithophel. You following with me? You got these, these stories, these people? Well, there's a couple more. So you've got Zadok and Abiathar, the faithful priests. Hushai, faithful friend and informant for David. Now we come into chapter 16, and there's Ziba. Ziba, when David was a little past the top of the hill. Behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him. This is where it pays to come for all the messages, right? Because we talked about these guys weeks ago, right? So now we've got, we've got Ziba and the servant of Mephibosheth. He comes, and he's got his animals, and they're loaded with bread and raisins and fruit and a bottle of wine. And the king, verse 2, said to Ziba, what meanest thou by these? And, and Ziba explains, well, these, are, these are to nourish your troops. These are for you to give you strength. David asked, well, what about Mephibosheth? Where is he? Where's Mephibosheth? Verse number three, the king said, where is thy master's son? Ziba said to the king, behold, he abideth, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, today shall the house of Israel restore me to the kingdom of my father. Now David's not sure about Mephibosheth. Has Mephibosheth betrayed him? I don't think he has. You've got to come back next week, but I don't think Mephibosheth is really. That's a little, that's a little spoiler for next week. All right? I, I, I think it's a lie, but I don't know for sure. But David doesn't know. What's David, how, what's David supposed to think? He's got men that have been loyal, men that have betrayed him, and just to make matters worse, the last guy we're going to see here, the last guy is Shimei. This guy is just the lowest of the low, okay? He's not a warrior. He's not a mighty man. He's what you call a scorner, a mocker. He just likes to, to, to run his mouth. Anybody ever know anybody like that? Anyway, here we go. So, verse 5, David comes to Bahurim. Behold, there comes out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and, all, and at the servants of King David. And all the people and the mighty men were on his right hand, on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son, and behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. <laughs> Who is this guy? Like, throwing rocks, swearing at me, saying all these, like, oh, this is, gonna, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, he's got, this part of the story I like, Abishai is standing next to David, right? Joab, his brother Abishai, he's with David. He's like, David, you want me to just, like, go take this guy out for you right now? Like, he's just like, you know, he's got the sword right. David, just, just let me go take this guy out. David's like, no, enough bloodshed today. Let's not, he spares this guy. But he'll come again. We'll see him. We'll see him next time. Verse number, let's see, 13. David and his men went by the way. Shimei went along the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. Boy, there have always been a group that have mocked the king, Right? Right? The mocking voice. The mocking voice. 
It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter if David is on the run right now. We saw weeks and weeks ago, David's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. David's kingdom, God has promised that his kingdom is going to last. In fact, David's kingdom was the beginning of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they mocked. It looked like the king was on the run. It looked like the king was defeated. And they mocked and mocked and mocked. And, they, and, and Shimei scorned. Listen, the voices of hell have always mocked the rightful king of the universe. Jesus was on the cross. And what did they do? Oh, the king's on the run. The king, you call yourself a king? Look, you're a king? Why don't you take yourself down? They mocked and mocked and mocked. But the king would have victory in the end. The king would be victorious despite the mocking voice. It doesn't matter. Listen, friends, it doesn't matter how many people betray the king. It doesn't matter how many people walk away from the king. It doesn't matter how few remain loyal to the king. The king is the king and his kingdom is forever. He is the king. And Absalom sets up his counterfeit kingdom. And you could read what happens, but I want to come to the concluding portion of the message. You can read what happens. It's a really ugly scene. David sets him, uh, Absalom sets himself up on the, the rooftop of the city. And he invites all of the people to come and see the, the coronation of my kingdom, which we're calling a counterfeit kingdom. And it's, it's ugly. The, the ten concubines that were left were in the tents, and, and Absalom defiles those concubines in front of the whole crowd of people. Really? This is the beginning of your kingdom? This is what it's built on? Contrast that with what we saw weeks ago when David began his kingdom. He began with a worship celebration. He began with sacrifices. He had a celebration with the people. But the counterfeit kingdom serves only one purpose, and that is to please the counterfeit king. It's, all, it's the only purpose of the kingdom. It's all about Absalom. And Absalom begins his kingdom with this vile and wicked display. I won't look at any more chapters, promise. We covered, them. we covered all the ones we're going to cover here this morning. But in the time we have left, in what we've seen here, and I've already been alluding to it, I've already been alluding to it as we've gone through this account, can I share with you that this account of King David, and, and we, I call it a story sometimes, but we understand that it's a, it's a historical account. But in this story... What we see is a type or a picture of the kingdom of Christ, its enemies, the rebellions that, that have come up against it, and the fact that Christ's kingdom will last forever. So bluntly put this morning, what we're seeing here is a picture of the days in which we live, which the Bible refers to as the last days. The last days. And when we say the last days, we literally mean there are not many left. You and I, as, as citizens of this world, in 2021, we are living in the last days. 
The Bible makes it very clear. Absalom's rebellion was not, certainly wasn't the last rebellion against the kingdom of God. It was the first of many rebellions that have come up against God's kingdom. No different than where we live today. We are living in the last days. A few scriptures that we need to think about as we finish. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Gave you this. It's in your handout. It should be on the screen. But I want you to, I want you to notice this. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 and 2. Do we have that verse? 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the, what's it say? Latter times. Paul is writing to Timothy. In the latter times, some shall what? Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Friends, we need to be aware that there is a battle for the kingdom going on right now. And there is, it's, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't always take on a physical appearance. It's spiritual. And just like Absalom was able to lead many away, there is a spiritual deception that is present in our age. There are forces at work against the kingdom of God that w- the Bible says Jesus and the apostles had so much to say about God's kingdom and warning us about the deception that we could face, the deception that we can come up against. We are living in the last days. And just like with Absalom, the deception that you and I face today is attractive. You need to be aware of that. It's an attractive deception. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 says this. Now think about this verse. For such are counterfeit apostles. I'm substituting that word because it's our theme today. You see, you see what we're talking about? For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into what? The apostles of Christ. In other words, there were, will be people, and there are people today, who come in the name of Jesus, but they are counterfeits. They are counterfeits. And it is the job of the church. The Bible refers to the church as the pillar and ground of what? The truth. Do you understand, friends? Please, don't take what I'm about to say lightly. When Jesus speaks about the church, there's one, there is one spiritual organization that Christ has left. And that is his church, his assembled, gathered church. You and I today, we've come here to worship God. We've come here to fellowship one with another. But we have been called here today to be guardians and keepers of the truth. I mean, wow. What a responsibility to know that no pastor or supposed preacher would stand on this platform and give a message that does not line up with the truth that we've received from the Word of God. 
The Bible says that we are to be on guard. We are to be vigilant because we are in these last days where there are deceivers. There are Absaloms. There is the spirit of Absalom that runs through Christianity at large, trying to steal away the hearts and souls of men and women and children away from the truth of the gospel. People say, and sometimes people as a criticism will say, well, I just can't understand if there's, you know, if there's so many, if the Bible is true, then why do you have Catholics and, and Bible believers and Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses? Why do you have so many of these? The Bible predicted that we would have so many because there would be counterfeit gospels. There would be counterfeit kingdoms that try to rise up. Paul says to, that they are, now, I didn't finish this passage though. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. Verse 14 says, and no marvel, don't be surprised, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, verse 15, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. There is an attraction to deception. We're living in the last days. The deceivers can be attractive. Not every quote-unquote pastor that you see on television or hear on the radio or, or read in a book, not every one of them who claims the name of Christ is a true representative of our Lord. You say, well, tell me who to watch out for. No, study your Bible. Read your Bible. Now, if you're reading your Bible and you'd like some guidance, sure. But it's not my job. Oh, well, it, it is. I'm supposed to reprove, rebuke, warn every man. So it is my job. But at the same time, it's your responsibility to know what the scriptures say, to know what is true. The problem, the problem is there are whole denominations of quote-unquote Christianity where they follow what a man says God wrote. A man says, well, God says this, so take my word for it. Bible believers, Bible-believing Christians, we say no. Thus saith the Lord, not the words of a man. There's an attractiveness, though, to, to the deception. Jesus spoke of this. He said there would be counterfeit Christs. Matthew 24, verse 23 and 25, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He says, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, there is Christ. Jesus says, don't you what? Don't believe it. Don't believe it. For there shall arise, say it with me, false Christs and false prophets. And wait now, they're going to have power because they're going to show great signs and wonders. Many people, and there are good people and, and well-meaning that are really, run, they want signs, miracles, wonders, all those things. Listen, don't chase after signs and wonders because the false teachers will also be able to do signs and wonders. Signs and wonders, whatever. What does the Bible say? I don't want to argue with anybody about what sign or miracle you did or didn't experience. It's irrelevant because I have the perfect word of God. The perfect word of God. Jesus says that this deception would be so possible that if it were possible, I love, I love the if in this passage. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the if in this passage. He says the deception is so real that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Do you know what that says to you if you're a true believer in Jesus? Do you know what it says to you? What It says, I cannot be 
deceived. I cannot be. You're like, oh, all this warning. What if, you know, what, what if I'm a Ahithophel? What if, listen, you examine your heart right now. Are you truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you 100% certain that Jesus is your Savior, that your hope is in Him, not your church, not your family, not your religion, but your hope is in Jesus? Because if it is, you are of the very elect, and it is impossible for you to be lost. Yeah, that's like, woo! Right? That's like, yeah! Because we're not talking about we're not talking about a story in a storybook. We're talking about the end of human history here, folks. We're talking about living in the last days, and there is a deception afoot, and men and women are being led astray by the wicked one. They're being led astray from the kingdom, but we belong to the kingdom. But beware, because there were some in David's kingdom. There were some in David's kingdom that everybody supposed were loyal, but they weren't. Because at the end, their hearts were revealed. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a field. Trying to grow wheat, somebody comes and puts a bunch of weeds in there. You can't sort it out. But at the very end, who's going to sort it all out? God will sort it out. And he'll separate the sheep from the goats. And I speak with all sobriety here this morning that you could sit in, in these chairs week after week, year after year, but if you do not belong to Jesus Christ, he will separate the, the, the sheep on the one hand into everlasting life and the goats on the other into everlasting destruction. It doesn't matter. Jesus said, many will say, Lord, we, we did this in your name, in your name. Jesus says, I will say to them in that day, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not an Absalom kind of message that makes somebody you know, feel really good. It's a Jesus kind of message that gives the truth. Jesus, Jesus was so loving and Jesus was so kind that he never told the people what they wanted to hear. But in love and in patience and in warning, Jesus said, I came for you. But don't be a pretender. Because final scripture, there's a spirit of antichrist that, at work. A lot of people get into prophecy, I, I think. Don't hold me to it, but I think we're going to begin soon a Wednesday night series discussing the end times. And many people are fascinated by that and what's going to happen, and I understand that. But Jesus says, don't just look at the future. In, in 1 John, it says this, little children, it is, what's it say? That last time there could be translated, not the last days, but it literally means it's the last hours, the time on the clock. We're at the end, folks. Jesus could come before you ride that zip line at my house this afternoon. <laughs> or right after. <laughs> Seriously, though, right? I mean, the, the Lord is returning to set up his kingdom to come in his power and his glory, and every knee will bow. But listen, you heard, he says, you've heard that Antichrist is going to come. Anybody heard that before? So you're just like the church there. You've heard that the Antichrist is going to come. Even now, though, even right now, this was written 2,000 years ago, even right now are what? Many Antichrists, whereby we know that it's the last time. That word anti doesn't mean against. 
It means counterfeit. It means instead of. There are, there are, just like Absalom had a counterfeit kingdom, the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world today to establish, not, we're not against Jesus, but we're here instead of Jesus or a better way of understanding Jesus. Listen, the church in 2021 does not need to be redefined. The scriptures do not need to be reinterpreted. We need to go back to the old book and follow the, the way that our Lord left us. In verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Well, what do you mean they would no doubt have Because Jesus said that you can't deceive the very elect. They went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There's more there. You can read it. I didn't put this on your handout, but this is the most encouraging as I thought about all of this. The final scripture. This came to me that like right before I was getting ready to preach, I, th I thought of this scripture. We're talking about counterfeit kingdoms, the kingdom of Jesus. It's Revelation eleven fifteen. Listen to what it says. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign. Say it with me. He shall reign for how long? For ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Whose kingdom are you on? Listen, we are in the thick of the battle. Christian, be encouraged. We may be few in number in this day. Your, your workplace may be against the cause of Christ. Your school or university may be against the cause of Christ. The culture may be against the cause of Christ. And it looks good, and it looks like their kingdom is growing, and it looks like their kingdom has all the strength, and it looks like the whole tide of the world is moving in their direction. But Jesus is coming back. And there will be a day where we are gathered and the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. We belong to him. So Christian, take heart. Stand strong in a confusing day, in a day where we have trouble on every hand. We can't make sense of our culture around us. Take courage. It's a counterfeit kingdom. It's a sham. The real king's coming soon. But if you don't know Jesus, don't gamble your soul on a counterfeit kingdom. This whole world is not worth gaining if it means you lose Christ. Make the decision today to follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed. We'll sing a concluding song in just a minute, but this is a time where you and I, we each have an opportunity to respond to the word that's been given. Christian, maybe the message today, maybe the word of God today has encouraged you to take a bolder stand for your faith. Take a bold stand. Be loyal. And maybe as, as we pray, you just, need to, you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you that strength, give you that courage, give you that resolve to, to serve your King Jesus. But maybe you are here today and you have never received Jesus as your Savior. You don't have time. 
You don't have any more time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you, if you are here and you say, Ethan, I don't know, if I died today or if Jesus came back today, I don't know if I'd be in heaven or hell. Well, if there's any doubt in your mind, why not make today the day you make that certain? You say, I I think I believe, I'm just not sure. Well, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can pray a simple prayer that says something like this in your heart. If you pray something like this, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your law, but I believe you died and rose again for me. You are my Lord. You are my Savior, and right now I trust in you and you alone. You say, is that all? That's all. It's not even those words. It's the belief of your heart. It's the belief of your heart calling out to Christ. He died for you. Would you do that right now? Right now, ask Jesus to be your Savior. Put your full faith and trust in Him alone. As the instruments play, let's just have a time of prayer. Each of us can spend a moment with the Lord. Father, we thank you so much that you are our king and your kingdom is forever. We thank you, Lord, that you sit on the throne. We thank you that you're in control. And God, we thank you that you have left us here in these last days. Help us to be a light to you. Help us to be an example. Help us to live lives that point towards your kingdom. God, I pray that if someone here today does not know you as their savior, has not made you their king, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you. Today would be the day that they would repent of their sin and trust in you for salvation. God, for those of us who do know you as our Savior, give us the strength and courage to live in these last days. Give us the the boldness to be a good testimony. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.